Lord, help us to reach out to those around us with grace and glory. Lord, we have so many that we're lifting up in prayer to you. Lord God, I pray. Lord, you know each and every name that's on our hearts. Lord, you know every name on our prayer list, Lord God. You know all those unspoken requests, Lord. We lift those up to you today, Lord. Lord, because we know that the answer is on the way. Oh, Father, make our hearts right that we can hear the answer when it comes, that we can hear your voice when it speaks, Lord. Lord, that we can can be guided and we can be shaped by your word, Lord God. Oh, help us, Lord. Lord, help us to be the lights that you want us to be. Father, we lift up our missionaries around the world, Lord, as they are, Lord, as they are out there around this world, Lord, giving up all the comforts and the pleasures of living here in the United States, Lord. They're out on the field, Father. They're they're preaching your gospel, Lord God. They're living your gospel, Lord. They are showing your love and grace all around them. Father God, bless them. Father, make their, their ministries, Lord, would be a success today, Lord God. Lord, that there would be people all around this world, Lord, who would who would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Oh, Father. Lord, we pray for the people right here in Dalhart. Lord, there's so many who don't know you here, Lord. There's so many that are lost. So many are seeking. So many, Father, are looking in every place for that satisfaction that they can only get with you. Oh, Father, show them the light, Lord. Show them your glory, Father. Let them see that you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. Lord Jesus, that it's only through you that we can have eternal life. Oh, Father. Lord, bless us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. seen the movie War Room, go see it. Yes. And as soon as it's available on streaming or on DVD, we're going to have movie night and we're going to watch it. But I'll tell you right now that that movie that has got to be one of the, the best ones they put out. The reason I wanted you this morning to close your eyes and picture yourself in the throne room of God surrounded by His, His righteousness and His glory is because sometimes when we pray, we, we tend to pray based on where we are and who's around us. But we pray to God. It's just us and Him. Don't worry about who's next to you. Don't worry about what anyone else is saying or how anyone else is praying what you need to worry about is what you're saying to God because He's your Father and it's your relationship with Him. And when we pray to Him, we need to pray expecting an answer. Because yes. if you don't expect an answer, don't waste your time. Yes. Expect an answer.
Like the song said, like the scripture says, the answer is on the way. Sometimes we have to clean the ears out to hear it. But it's on the way. This morning we're, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12. And if you weren't here last week, last week it was the first 11 verses of chapter 5. And it's talking about the Lord's return and that we should be ready for it. That we should not be surprised when it happens because it's going to happen. And we should be ready And it's amazing that right after Paul tells us that the Lord is returning and that we should be ready for His return, he goes straight into saying how we as God's people should be living in these last days. He's kind of putting some emphasis on it here of just how important is that how we live our lives. You know, the Scripture tells us that as His children, we have a job in this world. Our job is to be a light for Him so that the people who are lost can find their way. And that's not because you get up here and you can preach or because you lead a Bible study. That's because it's the way you live your life every day at work, every day at home, every night. It doesn't matter where you are. Your life is a light for Jesus Christ. We've got to live that way. If we're not, we're not doing our job. And yes, we do have a job. There's very detailed instructions about our job description as children of God. But Paul's going into this, and and just uh, uh, this this story uh, that I came across, this man is telling about when he was a young man, a, a boy at home, what had happened. And I'm just going to tell you this story. He says, My father brought home a 12-year-old boy named Roger whose parents had died from a drug overdose. There uh, was no one to care for Roger, so my folks decided they'd just raise him as if he were one of their own sons. Most of us in here would probably do the same thing in similar circumstances. Some of us in here have or are doing those things. So... At first, it was very difficult for Roger to adjust to his new home, to a home that didn't have drug addicts, his parents in it, a whole different lifestyle. And as he was adjusting, this man says he heard uh, his uh, parents tell Roger over and over again, no, that's not how we behave in this family. No, you don't have to scream or fight or hurt others to get what you want in this family. No, Roger, we expect you to show respect in this family. And in time, Roger's life changed. Now, did his life have to change for him to be part of that family? No, that was by the grace of the parents that they accepted him in as their own son but his life changed because he was part of that family. Us as Christians, we do not have to change to become part of God's family, but we change because we are part of God's family. See, that's the difference. And uh, our, our adoption into God's family is a free gift from God. He doesn't, we don't have to do anything except call His name and it's ours. But once you're part of that family... Our lives should change to start reflecting that. And when we, when we, all of us are addicts, you know that, we're all addicts to sin. 
Because we can't help but sin except through the grace of God. So as we're part of His family, every time we start wanting to slip back into those old habits, we hear the Holy Spirit saying, No, we don't behave like that in this family. We have to listen to that voice as it tells us these things. Now, today we're going to see exactly how we're supposed to be behaving as God's family. The first thing Paul goes to right here in verse 12 and 13 is that we should respect spiritual authority. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peaceably with each other. That's, that's pretty good advice, isn't it? Not, not just to, to show honor and respect to, to your pastor, but to show honor and respect to those others who have been appointed over you. You know, we all have a boss. And if you follow the line up high enough, you get to Jesus. You know, we all have a boss. We need to respect that boss because God has placed that person over you. There's a President Harry S. Truman used to have a security meeting every morning at 8:30, and he would uh, one day in this uh, in this meeting, the mail clerk brought in this envelope. It was a beautiful lavender envelope with this. Uh, very fancy wax seal on it and ribbons off of it. Well, they opened it up and, and the president started to read and, and <clears throat> the letter was from King Saud of Saudi Arabia. And as the, as the president started to read it, it started off with uh, the salutation was, Your Magnificence. And President Truman kind of laughed at that and he looked around the room and he says, I like that. I don't know what you guys call me when I'm not here. But I think I'd like it if you just called me His Magnificence. <laughs> but then, then Harry, uh, President Truman sent a letter off to the United Nations supporting the, addition, the admission of 100,000 Jews into Palestine. Well, he got another letter from King Saud. And on this one, when he opened it up, it said, Mr. President. <laughs> You see, sometimes I think, I think we have a tendency of treating our leaders that way. As long as they're doing things the way we think they're supposed to go, they're your magnificence. But as soon as we're, they're not, they get called other names. You know, we shouldn't let the circumstances dictate how we respond to God's Word. <clears throat> Paul says that we should hold each other accountable. Hmm. Verses 14 and 15 says, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil. But always try to do good to each other and to all people. We're part of a family. You know, in, the, in our world, if we was adopted into a family, normally your last name is changed, so everyone knows you're part of a family. Well, 
our last name has been changed, but you know, we don't know what that name is because we won't find out until we get to heaven. You know, Scripture says that we've all been given a new name. One day we'll get that. But we're part of a family. And as part of a family, we take care of each other. If someone's in need, we're there to encourage them. If, if someone is in trouble, we're there to help them. If someone is, is having an issue with their spirituality, we're there to hold them accountable to it. We all like to come to a, a church where we feel like everyone's got similar goals, similar uh, likes and dislikes, so we kind of all fit together. That's how we do with most all of our friends. Our friends are people who we relate to. Our family is people we relate to, even our church family. But what happens if in your church family you find out that you've got people who are living in sin but are coming to church and saying that they're good Christians? What do we do? According to the Scripture, we're supposed to hold them accountable. We're supposed to gently go and talk to them and say, Hey, you know, what you're doing is not right. You need to change. It doesn't say that we kick them out of the church, tell them we never want to see them again. It tells them we do it in gentleness and love to correct them because the ideal situation is to bring them back into the family. So, a lot of times as Christians, we consider love as just being permissible. Because we don't want to, we don't want to approach anyone doing something that's sinful, so we just let it be permissible. But letting a uh, letting a Christian, letting a brother or sister continue to live in sin is no more love than letting an alcoholic continue to drink or allowing a child to play with matches. We have to quit worrying about, well, what if they don't like me if I say something. We're talking about their eternal lives, people. I don't care if you get mad at me for approaching you about something. I'm more concerned about the next 10 zillion years that you're going to be in heaven or hell. I'm not worried about what you're doing in the next 20 years or so before you get there. You, we as family, we need to hold each other up. We need to encourage one another. We need to love one another. We need to be graceful to one another. <clears throat> Paul goes on then. He talks about that we need to maintain a positive spiritual outlook. If you look in verses 16 to 18, it says, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. You know, that's always easy to do when things are going good, isn't it? Man, everything's going right. We can be thankful. We can praise God. But what happens when that house of cards starts to fall down? You know what we're supposed to do? Praise God. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Our circumstances do not dictate how we respond to God's Word. That's what Paul keeps trying to tell us here. God's people in the last days, we're living in the last days, folks. I don't care if it's 10,000 years from now or this morning, we're in the last days because God's already done everything He said He's going to do. 
Jesus can return at any time. So we're living in those last days. And in these last days, as Christians, we're not supposed to be doom and gloom. You know, as you see on the movies, they've always got the Christian guy standing at the face, you know, all sad like he's lost everything. The end is near. That's not what Scripture says. The Scripture tells us we're supposed to be filled with joy. We're not supposed to worry about what's going on in the world. We're supposed to pray about it. We're not supposed to get all agitated about it. We're supposed to trust God. We're supposed to be filled with an overwhelming joy. No matter what's happening, we praise God. Yeah, I wonder if they ever made a movie where the Christians were actually the way they're supposed to be in the Bible. <laughs> it probably would. It would probably scare them to death. There was a third century man uh, was anticipating death and he penned these last words to a friend. It's a bad world. It's an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have, lear- they have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they don't care. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are Christians, and I am one of them. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Just think about what he's saying there. You've overcome the world. We should rejoice because there's nothing this world has for us. There's nothing this world can do to us because... Our king is in heaven waiting to welcome us home. We have to remember that. It's it's God's will. The scripture says that we are supposed to be a joyful people. A lot of times you want to tell Christians, hey, you know, you're supposed to be joyful. Smile a little bit. You know, because we always look so serious. (laughs) Smile a little bit. Be happy. Jesus Christ is here with you today. His Spirit fills your heart. If that can't make you smile, then something's wrong with you. That's right. Good, Linda. You keep it up. (laughs) Paul says we should live by the Spirit. In verses 19 to 21, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. You're that saying that we as God's people, we are authentically Pentecostal people. So don't some of you get shocked looks on your face. We are Pentecostal. We believe that God poured His Spirit out on the day of Pentecost, that the church was born, that 5,000 were saved, and from that beginning till now, God has been in charge of it all. That's being Pentecostal, folks. So don't, don't, I know that some people that you talk to, well, you're Pentecostal, and they start getting shock looks on their face. I'm not a Pentecostal. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. Church of the Nazarene used to be called the Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene. Sometimes I think that we need to be reminded every now and then that we come from Pentecostal background. We don't, we don't come from a background of a bunch of corpses sitting in, a, in the pew. <coughs> I never know what's coming out. (laughs) Verse 21 tells us to test everything. 
See, I think this is a, that Paul sounds that we need to have discernment over what we hear. We need to have discernment over what we read. You know, not everything that you hear is God's truth. There's a lot of preachers, and I'm not going to... I'm not pointing any fingers, but there are a lot of preachers who do not preach God's truth as it is in the Bible. They preach it as they want to believe it. I know, I know one per, nice guy, loves the guy to death. He's a super guy. Got a nice church. But he refuses to baptize or do anything in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. It's only in the name of Jesus. I was talking to someone the other day and she said, she says, she says, he said, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says the, the Father of the Son and the Holy Spirit, but then he read the Great Commission in Matthew and said she looked up at him and said, what about this? <laughs> mm. You know, in the, you know, the Greeks is who uh, uh, made the Olympics. They're the ones that started it and all. And they had a, a race in the Olympics that was a little bit different from what we see today because the first one across the finish line wasn't the winner. It was the first one across the line that still had their torch going. As Christians, in these last days, we need to be more concerned about keeping our torch burning, that flame of the Holy Spirit in our heart, because that is one of the marks of a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit in them. We need to be more concerned about keeping that fire burning. And you keep that fire burning, instead, instead of just picking this book up and reading it and saying, boy, that was a good story. I like that. I like what God did. We pick this book up, and whatever we read in it, we let it shape our lives. Amen. See, this, this, book is not, this isn't like a normal book. This, this book is more than just a bunch of stories. This book is God's tool to shape us and to change us and to make us into what He wants us to be. But it doesn't do any good if we don't let Him get the tools out and start working on us. Amen. See, we're a holiness people. That's scary to some people. Because as a holiness person, that means we wear our faith on our sleeve. That means that we, we allow God's grace and love to, to shine through us for everybody to see. That we practice God's grace on those around us by forgiving people even when they don't deserve it. We practice God's love on people around by helping people when they're in need. We practice God's grace when we get on our knees and pray for one another. We're a holiness people. We show our faith. We're not ashamed of our faith. So if, if any of you think I'm in the wrong church, it's time to leave. You know? But if you're a holiness person, that's what your life is. Is reflecting God. Being the best representation of Jesus you can possibly be through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our job. Paul ends up, the last thing he talks about here in verses 21 and 22, he tells us to do the right thing. We've all heard that before, right? I'm sure your parents may have told you, do the right thing. People, what's the right thing? Yes, it's, a lot of people look at the right thing as a perceptive thing, right? What's right to me may not be right to you. That's a worldview. That's the world's view. 
that there is no one right thing. We all have a right thing. But we're not talking about a worldview here. Paul's talking about a spiritual view of do the right thing. Verses 21 and 22 says, But test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. You notice how vague that instruction is? You know, no specifics, just very vague. Just like the term, do the right thing. Very vague. But you know what Paul's actually doing there? He's reminding us that that Holy Spirit that lives in us has that voice that we hear that when we start to do something that's not right, it's saying, no, nah, we don't behave like that in this family. We need to listen to it. Because it will guide us down the right path and it will keep us off of the wrong path if we listen. That's all Paul is doing there. Drew Anderson from Tucson, Arizona told a story to Reader's Digest on himself. He said, While my wife and I were shopping at a mall kiosk, a lovely young woman in a short, form-fitting skirt walked by and my eyes followed her down the hall. He said, without even looking up, my wife said, was it worth the trouble you're in? (laughs) 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 On the TV show Hee Haw, some of us never remember that show. I loved it. Doc Campbell is confronted with a patient who said he broke his arm in two places. The doc's response, don't go to those two places. Charles Spurgeon had three questions he had asked. The first question, what settings are you in when you fall? Avoid them. What circumstances in your life support your sin? Eliminate them. What people are you usually with when you fall? Avoid them. That sounds like pretty good advice, don't you think? Satan has two lies that he likes to really get people with. The first one, it's okay to try it just once. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Just once, it won't hurt anything. The second one, once you've tried it and sinned, Satan says, well, now that you're no longer any good to God, you might as well enjoy sinning. In other words, you've sinned. God, God's not going to forgive you. So you might as well just keep on doing it then. You know how many people believe those lies? How many people fall for that? They think, oh, I've, I've done such and such. God will never forgive me. I know a lot, of, uh, a lot of vets that come back from the war suffering through PTSD and such. They believe God will never forgive them for the deaths that they caused. I tell them very simply, you need to go back and read the Old Testament. Because God directed the armies of Israel to go in and fight a battle and people died And it was all ordained by God that when you're in a war, you're not committing murder. You're fighting for your life. Like we've been talking about on Wednesday nights, we're in a war. 
called a spiritual war. And we're fighting for our lives. And it's not with bullets and guns and bombs. We're fighting for our lives and we're fighting, we're fighting with an, an enemy that is so much stronger than we are. We've got that one thing that's greater than him. We have Jesus Christ, and we have to learn to rely on Jesus Christ. Do the right thing. And what's the right thing? Whatever way God is leading you is the right thing. Because he will never, never, never lead you down a wrong path. Hold on to good and avoid all types of evil. Let's all stand. If you want to come to the altar, it is open. After we finish with the prayer, we'll have communion. Once again, put yourselves in front of God. Imagine His throne room, His glory. When you pray, speak to Him. Father, we are here once again in Your throne room. Father, once again, we're crying out Your name. Lord, once again, we're giving you glory and honor. Lord, we're thanking you for the blessings in our lives. Lord God, we're thanking you for the Holy Spirit that lives in our heart. We're thanking you for your son Jesus who died for us on a cross. Lord God, you have provided us with more than we ever could have dreamt of. But Lord, you give it out of love. You give it out of grace. Father, I pray that the words that have been spoken here this morning, Lord God, would... Lord, we start shaping some lives. Lord, that your words would, would, start, would start taking root and start growing, Lord God. And, and Lord, I pray that, that people would be changed by your word, Lord. That people would, would turn to you, Father. And Lord, that their eyes would be opened. Father, we pray that your spirit, Lord, would touch us today. Lord God, that that fire of the Holy Spirit in us would not go out, but Lord, would burn brightly. Lord God, we pray that you would let our light shine so bright. Lord, that we would be markers for the lost to find their way home. Lord, that our lives and our words would, would be those words of encouragement for someone seeking that they would find. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.